The Old Testament lesson for the fifth Sunday in Lent is from Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is going to sound like a very serious sermon because I'm going to speak in a very low tone for you today. (laughs) Bear with me, please. There's a story in the Old Testament that you may not know. It's one of those wonderfully obscure stories that we don't hear very often. It's a story about the end of David's kingdom, at the end of his kingship, before he dies and hands over the keys to his son Solomon. There's a test that God administers to David, and it goes like this. David wants to have a census made of all of the people. He wants to count the people in his kingdom. Now, why would he want to do that? There seems to be some vanity, some pride afoot in David's life. He wants to know how great, how large his kingdom is. And so he sets out to count the people, even though his commander says, look, you don't need to do that. You know how much God has blessed you, how well he has cared for you. You don't need to count the people. But David goes on to do it. And God is displeased with David. And so he threatens a punishment. But he gives David a choice. Three different punishments are possible. The first is that there would be three years of famine. Three years of famine in the land. The second is three months of distress. Three months of distress. The third is three days of pestilence. So a plague would come among the people. David says three days is better than three months or three years, so let's go with the plague. And in the course of that plague, tens of thousands of people died. They were all punished. The kingdom was punished for David's sin. 
But as the angel of death was going about and destroying the people of Israel, he came to Jerusalem and stopped there. And David saw the angel standing there. And he went out and pleaded with the angel, pleaded with the Lord and said, Do not bring this judgment on these people. Let it be on me and on my house. And because of David's humility, the Lord relented of his disaster. And then God gave David some instructions. He says, Go and build an, offering, build an altar and give an offering to the Lord. Now, the spot where he was talking to the angel, there was a threshing floor. A farmer had his land there and a place where they threshed the grain. And David was planning to build an altar there in that threshing floor. And he said to the fellow, can I please buy this land from you so that I can build an altar? And the man said, no, no, you're the king of Israel. You can just have it. You can have this spot. You can have the oxen. You can have their yokes to burn for wood. You can have all of it for free. And David said, no, I won't take it for free. How can I offer to my God something that cost me nothing. How can I offer to my God something that cost me nothing? Now this story happens at the end of first at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 24. You should go and read it for yourselves to see how the story goes, but pay attention to this important fact, something that David knew. That a sacrifice must be costly. It has to take something from you in order for it to be a sacrifice. There are all kinds of things that we like to imagine are sacrifices, but they don't actually cost us anything. They're just a ruse, just a front. They look like they're a sacrifice, but they're not. Like all of those rich people Jesus saw coming to the temple and putting their offerings in the treasury, they thought that they were offering a lot, giving a wonderful sacrifice. But it was when the poor widow came and put in her last two coins that Jesus gave his praise. She put in all she had. She gave a true sacrifice. All of those rich people, Jesus said, they were giving out of their abundance. What kind of a sacrifice is that? Or consider our lesson today, Abraham and Isaac. There are lots of things Abraham would gladly have given up. There are lots of things we would gladly give up, things that we don't treasure so dear. But what did God ask of Abraham? That he would give up his son, his only son whom he loved, Sacrifice must be costly in order for it to be a true sacrifice. But that's not the only thing. A sacrifice must also be sincere. That is to say, you can't do it in a grudging way. Now, I'm not expecting that Abraham went skipping and leaping up the mountain to offer Isaac on that altar. He wasn't filled with joy, but he was willing. He was willing to give up his son. He wasn't dragging his feet. He wasn't grumbling. He wasn't saying, look, God, you're twisting my arm. I'm going to do what you say because you might destroy me if I don't. Instead, he was willing. It was a sincere offering. This is the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering. You remember the story from Genesis chapter 4. Cain gave an offering to God, but it was not from faith. It seems to have been sort of a grumbling offering not because he loved God, but because he wanted to show God that he was good, that he was worthy of God's love. And sacrifice must be sincere. You know this in your own lives. We use the word sacrifice all kinds of ways. So you make sacrifices for the people that you love. You make sacrifices to do the things that you love. And occasionally it happens that in making those sacrifices, you become bitter about the sacrifice. Haven't you seen everything I've done for you? All of the things I gave up for you, haven't you seen all of that? And in that bitterness, the sacrifice no longer is a sacrifice. Instead, it's extortion. It's an attempt to exact from somebody something in return. 
when it's not sincere, when it's not a gift, when it's not an offering freely given, it's no longer a sacrifice. Instead, it's something else. It's not a gift to the person that you're giving it to, and it's no longer a blessing for you either. Instead, it becomes this thorn, this burr in your saddle, this source of contempt. A sacrifice must be sincere, must come from the heart in order for it truly to be a sacrifice. But a sacrifice must also have the right destination, the right object. Now, this is an interesting thing to think through because we can imagine all kinds of people and things for which we would sacrifice. But really, there is only one who is worthy of sacrifice, and that is God. Anything that we give up in this life for the people we love, to do good things, to do the things that we love, all of that must be devoted to God or it is worthless. In fact, St. Paul says that when the pagans offer their sacrifices, whether that's meat that they offer on an altar or whatever else they might be giving up, They're actually offering it to demons. That is to say, if we don't offer things to God, to whom are we offering them? Maybe to the world. The world demands lots of sacrifices from you for you to keep your job. It may feel like you have to make sacrifices to your boss. It may seem like you have to make sacrifices in order to make your way in this life, to be favorably looked upon by others. It may seem like the world demands sacrifices of you, and if you sacrifice to the world as though it deserves your sacrifices, then you're offering something to demons. Or if you make sacrifices to your own vanity, this is perhaps most common. We give things up, but we do it really to please ourselves so that we can feel righteous and good, so that we can hold it over the heads of others When you offer sacrifices to the world or to your own vanity, you are not offering them to God. And so you may as well be offering them to demons. God talks about it this way. He says, when the people of Israel came into the temple and they honored honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him, they would burn their animals on the altar and the smoke would go, go up to heaven and God says, it stinks. I can't stand the smell of it. That burning meat is supposed to be a pleasing aroma to God. But when it is offered for any other reason or to anyone else to bolster our own pride, to serve the world, to get ahead in this life, when it's given for any other reason, to hold on to the things that we love, to sacrifice in order that we might not lose what God would take from us, then it's a stench to him. It stinks. It burns his nostrils. That's how he describes it. So note this well. These three things. It starts with David teaching us that a sacrifice must be costly. And it must be sincere. And the only one who deserves our sacrifices is God. But why? Why offer sacrifices at all? Why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Why did he ask the people of Israel to bring their lambs and their goats? Why does he ask you to lose your life in order that you may find it? Why? Not because God needs these things. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 50. And God kind of gets snarky with the people of Israel in Psalm 50. He says things like, you think I'm like you, and that's where you go wrong. You think I'm a man like you. You think I need things the way people need things. You think I get angry the way people get angry. He says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't eat eat the flesh of rams and goats. That's not why I'm asking you to offer your sacrifices. God's not asking for sacrifices because he needs them. He's not asking Abraham for Isaac because he needs Isaac. God has a different purpose in mind. When people in this world, or our own flesh, or the demons, the false gods of our world, when they demand sacrifices, it's because they need them. They can't get by without them. 
But that's not how God is. He asks of you that you make sacrifices, not for his sake, but for yours. He asks you to offer things up to him because it's a blessing for you. So start with the sacrifices that the people of Israel were to offer on the altar, in the sanctuary, in the temple, or the tabernacle. Those were gifts to the people of Israel. Although they offered those gifts to God, it was a gift back to them because they pointed ahead to the sacrifice of Jesus. It was all about teaching them that blood is required to pay for sin. They were to learn that blood must be spilt for all of their sins. And in fact, there was one sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement that especially illustrated this. They would take a goat and they would put, the priest would put his hands on the goat's head and he would confess the sins of all the people. And then he would send that goat off into the wilderness, signifying what God wants to do with our sins. He wants to take them away and send them away. He wants them to be paid for. He wants them to hurt us no longer. He does not want us to suffer for them. That's what sacrifice teaches us. The sacrifices of the Old Testament, they were pointing ahead to this beautiful sacrifice. The writer of the Hebrews told us today, he said, look, all of the blood of bulls and goats, they can do something to cleanse the outside of you, but what we really need is something, some blood that will cleanse the inside of us, and so we need the blood of Jesus, and we have it. That's the gift that's on the altar before us today, the blood of Jesus which cleanses you from all sin, and when the God asked the people of Israel to offer their sacrifices, it was to teach them that he wanted to take away their sins. Sacrifices are also useful for you in this way, that they give you a way to say thanks to God. We sing it in that great Lenten hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Here's the third, either the third or the fourth verse. Here's how it goes. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, that is God's love, love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. When God asks us to give sacrifices to him, to give offerings to him, to return thanks to him, it's because he has done such wonders for us. And so when that poor sinful woman came to the dinner that Jesus was eating with the Pharisees, and they all grumbled about him and said, if, if he knew what kind of a woman she was, he would have nothing to do with her. But she broke a jar of ointment and anointed his feet with her tears. He said to those who were grumbling, he said, if somebody is forgiven much, if somebody has received much love, they also love much in return. It's only fitting that a great sacrifice would be given to the one who has given so much to us. Of course, you can't possibly match the magnitude of God's gift. He gave up his son, his only son whom he loved, his life, his all, he gave it up so that we would not die, but live. So that we would not perish for all of the sins that we've committed. We would not receive the judgment that we deserve. He gave it all up. How can we possibly even come close? Let's just try. And so we offer our sacrifices of thanksgiving, praising God for what he has done. But the most important thing that we gain from sacrifices, this is most important for the people of Israel as they're offering up their gifts on the altar. It's most important for Abraham as he brings Isaac to the top of the mountain. It's most important for you in whatever ways God asks you to sacrifice in your life. We learn to trust in God. So there's this dreadful story that, Jesus, uh, that is reported of Jesus where a rich young man came to Jesus asking him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, why don't you do those? And the young man says, I've done them all, I've kept them all. Of course, that can't possibly be true. But Jesus, seeing his heart and loving him, looked at him and said, 
There's just one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And then come follow me, and you'll have treasures in heaven. It's an awful story because the young man walks away sorrowful. He'd rather have his treasures than Jesus. He'd rather have the things that he loves in this life than his Savior, who would take away his sins forever. It's a tragic story. But Jesus asks for that sacrifice from this rich young man because he knows what the rich young man needs. It's not that he needs to get rid of all of his stuff. It's not that the poor need his things. It's that he needs to learn to trust in God. He trusts in his wealth. He trusts in his treasures. He needs to learn to trust in God. That's what we need to learn as well. Now, in all of this, there's this stunning question that we must answer. What has God asked you to sacrifice? It has not been your son, your only son, whom you love. It's not been bulls and goats and rams. It's not that you would sell all your goods and give them to the poor. That's not what God has asked of you. But what has he asked of you? Now, if you come to this lesson from the Old Testament, from Genesis chapter 22, and you say, thank God that he's not asking me something so grievous as that, to give up my only son, I don't know if I could ever do it, pay close attention. Because God actually asks something harder of all of us. Giving up your son, your only son, whom you love, that is awful. But God actually asks us to give up something more difficult. And that is our whole life. Our faith in ourselves, our self-righteousness, our pride. He asks us to give everything up. So when David is praying to God that he'd be forgiven for his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, David says this, if, I, if there were sacrifices I could give, I would give them. But that's not what you're asking for. What God asks for is this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That's harder than giving up your son, your only son whom you love. Letting your heart be broken by God being made contrite, that is to feel dreadfully sorry for your sins. To believe, to truly believe that what you deserve is nothing but punishment and that apart from God's mercy, there is nothing you can do to climb yourself out of this hole. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. That is much harder to give up. Much harder than anything else we possess in this life. And that is what God asks of us. He asks us to give up on ourselves. He puts a point on it. When he's talking to his disciples, he says, look, you must be prepared even to hate father and mother and brother and sister and all of the things that you have in this life. You must be prepared to give them all up because why? Whoever loves his life will lose it. But whoever loses it for my sake will gain it eternally. God wants us to give it all up, to give everything up, to give up our hope in ourselves, in this world, in the things of this world. He wants, to give, wants us to give them up so that he can give them back to us better than before. This is the great glory of Genesis chapter 22. This is why I love this story better than so many others. Because Abraham goes up on that mountain and it seems like he's been asked to do a terrible thing. But what has God done for him? In asking Abraham to give up his son Isaac, he's teaching Abraham that Isaac never really belonged to him in the first place. And that if Abraham were to hold on to Isaac, desperately, white-knuckled, grasping him with all of his might, he would lose him. He would lose him. But if Abraham gave him to God, handed him over, commended his, him to God's care, and trusted him to God's gracious provision, then he gets Isaac back not just for a time, not just till the end of his life, but for eternity. And that is what God wants to give to us. 
If we hold on to this life, if we hold on to our pride, our hope in the things of this world, if we hold on to our treasures, we will have them for a while, and then they will be gone. But God wants to give us something far, far better. And so he asks us to sacrifice. He says through Paul in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God wants to give you such precious gifts. He wants to give you better things than this world can offer, better things than you can attain on your own, better things than you can hold on to with all your might. He wants to give it all to you through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, he already has. By baptism into Jesus' name, you have all of the treasures of heaven right now. And that makes sacrifice easy. That makes giving things up easy. That means hearing God's word and believing him easy because he has already kept his promises. He has already delivered to you everything that you need for this life and for the next. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.